Father, we thank you for being able to praise you with joyful lips and thank you for allowing us to sing with excitement and exuberance in our souls. And Lord, I pray that your word would would have its effect in our hearts. Would you grant your children to be the salt and light that you intend us to be? And Lord, would you keep us from wanting to lose our saltiness, keep us from wanting to be unseen or quiet. And Lord, I ask that you would let us love your name and be so convinced of your salvation that we could never be silent, that we could never be unseen, that we would never be so shy as to fail to proclaim your name. And so, Lord, I I pray that all that you intend to be accomplished among us this morning by thinking about this passage of scripture. Would you let it, let it be true. Let it come to fruition. Let it take root in our hearts and let us be changed in the ways that we need to be changed. And Lord Jesus, this is impossible without the kindness of your grace and the work of your Holy Spirit. So let your love move among us. Let your Holy Spirit be at work in your people. Among us right now, for the sake of your name among those who have no hope, for the edification of your people. And so, Lord, we look to you, uh, because without you, we can do nothing. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, these verses cause me to wonder uh, if you've ever struggled with trying to find God's purpose for your life. You ever wonder what meaning there is in your life? You wonder why you're here? Um, not just in this room, but on this planet. And it's, it's puzzling to me that we're wired to see purpose in, in life. We're, we're wired to look for reasons why things happen the way they do. And we discover this if you're a parent, uh, you've had a toddler, you know from about age two, there's this incessant asking of why. Uh, no matter what the question is or what you want to do, why kind of comes out. Uh, do you want to have lunch? Why? You know, are, are you hungry? Why? You want to go get some ice cream? Why? There's this phase that why happens in the lives of every child. And it reminds me of the truth that God has put eternity, is what Ecclesiastes says, God has put eternity into the hearts of mankind. We're intended, we're hardwired to see purpose and reason and meaning in this world in which we live. And I just wonder, do you ever struggle with knowing what your purpose is? What meaning your life is and uh, what you're to do? Um, If if you're a Christian, then uh, these verses have something to say to you uh, and for all who would listen. And so... Uh, We've been following Jesus through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We're making our way through, and this is, uh, we now come to Matthew chapter 5, as Roger just read, verses 13 to uh, 16. And the question today is Jesus' words of, you are salt and you are light. That's what Jesus says. You are salt and you are light. Now, of course, he's speaking metaphorically, um, but what does he mean? What does he want us to go away with? What does he want us to take home with us, and, and so that's my prayer as we ask the questions. Okay, you're salt, okay, how? And you're light, well, how? 
So those, those two thoughts are on our minds. Let's just read verse 13 again and take a look at it. Uh, Matthew 5, 13. Words of Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, the first question is, who's the you? Right? Jesus begins this by saying, you are the salt of the earth. And we have to ask the questions, well, who's the you? And that, answering that question takes us back to where we were last week to remind us to whom Jesus is speaking because he, in verse 11, so go back a couple of verses, he begins by saying you throughout the whole course of the Sermon on the Mount. He's not done that. He simply said, those who do this are, those who are persecuted are this. And, and then he changes it to you. So he gets very personal here. And he says, so who's the you? Go back with me to verse 11. Blessed are you. Six times you're going to see it in the next two sentences. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecute the prophets who were before you. So who's the you that Jesus is talking to? He is talking to people, you, the you is those who are being persecuted for the sake of the name of Jesus. So the you in Jesus' mind are those who are having all kinds of false things, evil things uttered against them wrongly. It's those who are suffering, as Jesus said, on my account. And so that's the you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's talking to Christians. We today would say we are speaking to Christians. And he says, you are the salt of the earth. So if you're a Christian this morning, you're the salt of the earth is what Jesus is saying. Now, you'll also notice something here. Why does he say, well, if the salt has lost its taste, how will it be salty again? So Jesus has a concern. What's his concern? It's that the salt, you, will lose your saltiness. Why is he concerned about that? Well, doesn't it have to be the fact of persecution? That was the last topic that he mentioned. It's this, this promise of persecution. It's not if persecution comes, but when it comes. And now he says, you're the salt of the earth. So don't lose your saltiness. What he's saying is don't let persecution keep you from being salty in this earth. Don't lose your saltiness because of persecution. So persecution threatens the Christian to, to not do what he's called to do, what she's called to do. In other words, persecution diminishes the expression of our purpose in this world. Jesus knows that's the temptation. And so he is saying, don't lose your saltiness. And so the question is, well, why use salt? Jesus, can't you just... Be a little more plain. What, what's the point with salt? Well, what is salt good for? Well, there's a couple of things. You could uh, take a whole sermon on this. I, I just think of four things to mention here. Why, why should, what should you think about when you think about salt? First of all, it's a preservative. Second, it adds flavor. Uh, third, it causes thirst. And then lastly, uh, salt's everywhere. So let's take each one of those. Salt is a preservative. In the ancient world, salt, there was no refrigeration, and so the primary means of uh, keeping meat particularly from spoiling was to pack it with salt. 
And so it's a preservative. It keeps meat good and prevents the, the bad growth of bacteria. So it, it preserves goodness and it prevents badness, you might say. Just to be simple. What, what, We've got to keep this simple for you to be able to take it home. Uh, salt preserves goodness and prevents badness. Which fundamentally brings us to a place of what do you believe about the basic uh, essential nature of this universe. It, it is one that tends towards de- decay, right? This world is, is fundamentally corrupt. You leave something alone by itself, it falls into corruption. It begins to corrupt and fall apart, spoils, it gets old. We live in a broken world. Fundamentally, decay has come into this world, rot, as it were. Meat will rot if it's not packed with salt. And so salt prevents that decay. It, prevent, it keeps the meat fresh and good, and it forestalls decay. So that's part of the, the thing that we need to think about from salt. Secondly, salt adds flavor, right? Salt is good at adding flavor. Now, a few, uh, many of you, I don't know, uh, 12 or 15 or so of us did this little 10-day vegetable diet at the beginning of the new year, and we were uh, spending 10 days eating nothing but vegetables, and um, so my wife was making soup one night, and she grabbed a can of like every vegetable in the pantry, pulled it together into this pot, and we had vegetable soup, and uh, when we sat down to eat, she said, "Uh, it needs a little salt. It's kind of lacking some flavor, so put a little salt in it. And I followed her instruction, and, and it did. And I, I tasted it, and sure enough, I, it needed a little salt. But sprinkle a little salt in that, it was wonderful. It was so good. I think it was because I was starving for meat that uh, <laughs> no matter what it would have been, I would have thought it was good. Uh, but it, salt adds uh, flavor to things. For example, you ever put salt on watermelon? <laughs> Everybody thinks, you're a nut. I, have, I get all kinds of responses. And cantaloupe? Right, you put salt on watermelon and cantaloupe, and you, some of you are like, you're a nut. Yeah, but it's wonderful. Don't knock it until you try it. So give it a try. It enhances the flavor. Salt's wonderful for that. Salt also uh, causes thirst, right? If you eat salty chips, salt absorbs water, and so it pulls water out of your body. You eat salty chips, salty peanuts, you're going to get thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. It's something to think about. And then lastly, salt's everywhere. You ever think about that? Almost any food purchase you make, you can get some salt. And I wanted to test this. So yesterday, after a run, I went out to Dunkin' to get some coffee. I ordered a coffee, and I asked the guy, could I have some salt with that? I got a very strange look, but I got two salt packets. It, it, salt's everywhere, right? You can, and it's relatively easy to come by and cheap. So there's a spiritual lesson in all of this, I promise. So now let's go back. What are we thinking about salt? Salt preserves what is good and prevents what is bad. So if Jesus is saying, Christians, you're like salt, you're the salt of the earth, well then part of your purpose, Christian, is to do what is good and to prevent from happening what is bad. It's part of God's purpose for Christians in this world is to do what is good and not do what is evil or wrong. Because we go back to that notion, our world is fundamentally corrupt and the problem is not physical. It is first and foremost spiritual. This physical world was wonderful and beautiful. God said after creating this world and looking back at the the wonder of all that he was created, he said, 
He didn't just say it's good. He said, this is very good. And yet something corrupted that goodness. And it was sin. Sin entered this world and it affects everything. Not just relationships, but the reason meat decays is because sin entered this world. There was no death in this world until sin entered this world. And so through the sin of Adam and Eve, corruption and death has entered into our world. And so we need to, to make people know that the primary problem is not physical, spiritual. Right? Corruption and all that is broken in this world has its root in sin, and we have to say that because if we don't, the world will waste time trying to fix the symptoms rather than getting to the heart of the disease. We live in a broken world. So Christians, part of our purpose is to lead in doing what is good. And sometimes it only takes one person to do that to make a difference. Now, yesterday, sorry, Friday, I happened to look out the window and I saw uh, six turkeys go marching across my yard, strutting with all of the pomp and confidence of arrogant little turkeys. And one in the front uh, made it to the end of my driveway, which is uh, bumps up against Cambridge Road. It's a busy road, very, very busy. And I wondered, what is going to happen? I start watching these guys walk across the road. And I'm wondering where they're going. He's headed right into the traffic. And six of them, they're stretched out from, by the time the first one got to the edge of the driveway, the sixth one was in the middle of the yard. And the first one got to Cambridge Road, and he was a smart turkey. He stopped. And he looked. There's traffic. Cars were going by. And he waited. Now, what was amazing was all six of them stopped. The, the, bat, the last one was in the middle of the yard. He's not in any danger at all. He's 35 feet from Cambridge Road. And yet he stopped. Every one of them in a single file line stopped. And then there was an opening of cars and the first one took off. The second one followed. And then the car zipped through. And so the, the third one got a little confused. Um, and you're wondering, what's going to happen? Is this, is, are we going to see feathers flying? Or, or what is going to happen? And yet... He wandered around. Now, the first one, he, he kind of slowed down and he looked back to see if he was being followed. He waited around over on the other side of the road. And then there was a space and the third one marched right out and the whole little string of them went across Cambridge Road. All the traffic stopped. No feathers were flying. But it struck me, all it takes is one guy who's leading the way and, and there will be followers. And if, if where are you going to, they're, they're leading to food, right? There's little of nothing around here. If I was a turkey and I was looking for something to eat, I would have crossed Cambridge Road. There's a whole forest section over on that side. And yet one person led the way, one little turkey. And it, and it struck me, sometimes we see this. When, when you're wondering, what's your purpose? Leading into what is good and right is part of the purpose of Christians, and sometimes it takes one person to embrace goodness for everybody else to have the courage to follow. A, a biblical example, when the woman who was caught in adultery was brought to Jesus and the guy who was also caught in adultery is absent and Jesus reveals the hypocrisy of those who are bringing this woman to him to test and see what is going to happen to her when Jesus exposes their hypocrisy, the Bible tells us one old guy dropped his rock. When Jesus said, let, let those of you who are without sin cast the first stone, 
One, was one old guy dropped his stone and then everybody else dropped theirs. All it took was one person to do the right thing and everybody else sort of followed. And, and as I was thinking about this, right, and I want you to ask yourself, where's the context of which I can do what is good? How can I do and lead what is good in my context? You think about it. What's, where's your life? Where can you lead in goodness? Because sometimes one person can make a big difference. And I thought of my freshman year in high school. I was walking down the hall. There's a massive, uh, the hall's full of, of students. We're all going uh, between classes. I don't remember where we were, but this massive group of, of students moving down the hallway. And somebody from behind hit my books. And books and papers went flying out of my hand into the fray of fast-moving feet in front of me. And all these thoughts went through my mind. If I stop, I'm, I'll get trampled. I will certainly get trampled. This is embarrassing. Oh, this is terrible. Who, you know, who did that? I got to get my books. So I, 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 I knelt down. I'm ready to get trampled. I'm going to try to gather everything as, as quickly as I could. And when I knelt down, I looked back. I wasn't getting trampled. There was not a mass of people behind me because Skip Borcher had put his arms out <laughs> behind me and stopped the entire flow of traffic in the hallway. Now, Skip Borcher was a very impressive, intimidating senior who I only knew by reputation alone. I did not know him. And I looked up in utter shock and surprise. And I, and I realized what grace. He looked like Jesus standing back there <laughs> holding the whole flow of crowd behind me. And, and I was a bit stunned and he saw this and he looked down like, okay, come on, you know, get with it. I gathered up my books and we went on the way. One person stopped the entire flow of that mass. I don't think anybody else would have given me five seconds. And yet he showed me grace and it just made me think, how amazing it is for one person to do what's right and sometimes people will come along. So Christian being salt in this world means doing what is good and me standing up with courage and leading into goodness. And how can you do that? Right? So doing what is good, I'm praying the Lord will bring to mind what are some ways I can lead into goodness in my context. The second aspect of what salt does, not only does it preserve goodness, but it also prevents badness and, and stops decay. And, and I thought, how could we do that, right? And I think about work. The language at work, you don't have to say anything negative in order to be a force for positive change in language at work or behavior or conduct at work. Because if you refuse to participate in the course joking and the crude jesting and the obscene language, if you just abstain from all of that, your abstinence will be noticed. And we are called to this. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. What would happen in your work environment if you stopped laughing at the jokes that you know you shouldn't laugh at? What, what would happen if suddenly your language is very different from everybody else? 
You don't have to say a word. You don't have to go out condemning, preaching, and so on. That's, that's what we're all afraid of doing. I don't want to say anything. All you have to do is not participate. And I just wonder what kind of goodness would happen because you're refraining. You're, you're not going along with the evil. You're, you're disrupting the, the decay. Think about that at work. Secondly, uh, not only is salt good for preserving what's good and preventing what is bad. Second, salt adds flavor to life. Uh, Salt adds flavor to food. I think Christians, we can add flavor to life. How do we do that? The one thing that came to my mind is so many people's lives are so bland and lifeless, insipid is the words, tasteless, just no point, no purpose. We as Christians ought to live very, very different lives because we know We do have purpose. God has created every life with purpose and dignity. And so we need to be the ones to share. We are not the result of biological accidents. We are the result of a creator who in our mother's womb uniquely crafted each one of us and brought us to being with a unique personality, with unique perspective perspectives. And and there is purpose. There is a God who has intentionally created us. And I think us bringing that conversation to the table for people who don't have any sense of meaning and life in their lives can be a huge blessing. Another way we as Christians can be salt in this world. And thirdly, um, salt causes thirst. And I think as Christians, are you causing people to thirst for God? And what I mean is, we as Christians, uh, the, the only way you can be a Christian is to receive the Holy Spirit within you. If, if the life of Christ dwelling within you, and, and Jesus said on one of the feast days, he stood up and he said, if anybody is thirsty, let him come to me and, and out of him will flow rivers of living water. And I think He's talking about the Holy Spirit, we are told. The Spirit of God dwells within the people of God, and then out of of the overflow of our communion with the Lord comes life-giving stuff, life-giving waters as it's likened to. And if that's true, we have the Spirit of God within us. There ought to be something flowing out of us that's good. Life-giving waters are good for giving life. Is your life Showing Christ in such a way that other people see your life and are like, man, I wish I had some of you. What is in you? I wish I had some of that. I remember working in a coffee factory in seminary and one of the workers one day was singing. This, this guy was a Christian. And as he's packing the, uh, loading the pallet, he was singing, just having a great time, going around pulling his load, doing his work. And one of the salesmen came by and said, Uh, I want whatever you're on. And the response that came back was, I'm on Jesus, man, and kept going. And the salesman stopped. He knew he was telling the truth. And, And so does your life show Christ in such a way that people say, man, I want what you got? Do you make people thirsty for God? Do they see within you something of your relationship to God that so causes them to want it? Right, as Christians, we can be salt in the world if our lives want and cause others to draw nearer to Christ. And fourth, um, I said salt is everywhere and easily accessible. Christians, we ought to be everywhere and easily accessible. 
We ought to be in every segment of work. We ought to be Christian doctors. We ought to be Christian lawyers. We ought to be Christian train operators, Christian drivers, Christian cooks. We ought to be on every restaurant, every table, everywhere. God intends, didn't he say, fill this earth with glory? Let my glory cover the earth as the waters cover the sea? And I think there ought to be Christian scientists. There ought to be Christian researchers. We ought to be everywhere bearing the name of Jesus in every segment of society because just as salt is easy to find, Christians ought to be easy to find and easily accessible. So they have to, to be, uh, that, that's ways in which we can be like salt. And, and then the last metaphor that Jesus uses in verses 14 to 15, he says, not only are you salt, but you're also light. Let me read those two verses, verses 14 and 15. You're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. What's the point? It's very easy to see the light within you ought to be seen, not hidden. And again, why is Jesus concerned about light being hidden? Why is he talking like this? Because he's concerned that persecution will cause you to go soft and quiet and to close off who you are in in your nature. And so he's saying, don't let that happen. God didn't put the Holy Spirit within you so you could be a closet Christian. That's not his point. His intention is that your faith be seen. Just as light is seen and can't help but be seen, so the faith of Christians who truly know Jesus ought to be seen. So persecution can diminish our light and cause us to just want to shell up and clam up and be quiet. And Jesus is saying, don't let that happen. And this again highlights a fundamental aspect of our world. Our world is fundamentally dark. This world needs light. And so Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine. Don't go dark. Don't let your faith darken because our world is fundamentally dark. Jesus says this, John 3, 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Right? There is a darkness that is resident within the human heart that loves and prefers evil over good. The only way to have that disposition within us changed and transformed is by receiving the Holy Spirit of God within us. And then we are transformed from the inside out. So this world is dark by default. And so Jesus comes as the light of the world. He says this, first of all, John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He's talking about his spirit filling Christians and then manifesting the character of Christ outwardly into a dark world. So we Christians can only be the light of the world if we are filled with the light of the world, namely Jesus. That's why Paul says it again, be always being filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives a command, be always filled with the Holy Spirit. Question, Christian, if you're a Christian, are you? Are you living like that? And if you're, you think just coming to church makes you a Christian, it doesn't. As Keith Green has said, going, going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, right? So going to church will not make you a Christian. 
And so where is the spirit of God within you? Because if we are to be light in this world, we need to be filled with the spirit of Christ. That's the only way we will overcome the darkness. And so Jesus talks about this incredible reality of his spirit dwelling in us. He says in John 14, I am in my father and you are in me and I in you. And speaking of God the Father, he said, we will come to you and make our home with you. The Father of lights, God the Father, who is light and in whom is no darkness of all, he says, I will come and take up residence within you and fill you with myself. That's what it means to be a Christian, to receive the Spirit of Christ inwardly and be transformed. And then when we are full of him, then we can let our light shine. And so that's the question. Are we filled with his spirit? And that's the call. Let the light of Christ shine out from you. Look at verse 16, back in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. So first point is light is intended to be seen. Your good deeds are intended to be seen. How you live your life is intended to be seen. So let your light shine. Don't hide the fact of your faith in Christ Jesus. Let it shine out. How? In such a way that good works are manifested. So yes, Christian, we are called to good works. The Bible tells us we're created for good works. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says this, we are his workmanship, meaning God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, meaning they should be a habit of life. Doing good should be a habit of every Christian. Walking in in good works, constantly doing things that exalt the Lord are part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But do them in such a way, Jesus says, that people see what you're doing and they glorify God. Not you. Now that's tricky, isn't it? How do you do that? How do you do good things so that others will see and glorify God? Well, this gets back to the purpose of Why is there even a universe in the first place? When little kids ask you, why why are we here? Why why are there trees? And why does this world exist? Why are are you here, mommy? Or why are you here, daddy? What's your answer? Why does this universe exist? It exists to manifest the glory of God. That's what the Bible repeatedly tells us. to, To display in all of its variety... The the manifold glory of God. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. So how can you do that? I think it begins by understanding what I prayed at the beginning of this service, which is you won't do anything without him. We, We are told in the Bible that every good thing we do, we do in the strength that he provides. So 1 Peter 4 uh, speaks to this issue. And we're talking to Christians, right? So this is is Peter explaining. He says, as each one of you has received a gift, use it uh, to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. 
God has blessed each of his children in a variety of ways. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same calling, all the same blessing. But his grace gets manifested through us in various ways. He said, um, whoever speaks, speak as one who speaks the words of God or the oracles of God. Whoever serves, let him serve by the strength that God supplies so that in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and honor and forever and ever. Amen. So when you serve, whether it's preaching or playing the guitar or standing at the door or welcoming people, when you're serving the body of Christ, how do we serve in the strength that God supplies? One way of, of doing what you do in order to glorify God is realizing without him, I'm nothing. Without him, I, 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 I couldn't speak. I can't stand. I can't do anything without the strength that God supplies. That's the first thing. The second thing to do is then when you do what you do, point others back to God, not you. When somebody says to you, that was a beautiful song you sang. You have a wonderful voice. Say something like, yeah, thank you. I'm glad you're blessed. God gave me a good voice or or God has given me grace or uh, whatever you're, you're serving, point the glory back to him. When somebody says thank you for that ride home from work because his car, your co-worker's car is broken and he says to you, thank you for taking me home. You didn't have to come all this way. And you could say something like, well, if it wasn't for Jesus, I'd have left you on the sidewalk. (laughs) But Jesus said, do unto others as you'd have done unto you. And if my car was broke, I'd want somebody to bail me out. There's a way you can point back to Jesus all that we do. Maybe not use the sidewalk comment. (laughs) But think about ways you can point people to God for blessing you in your life. That is a way that the light of Christ can shine through you and you do good things so that others see God, not yourself. Turn the glory away from yourself because without, where'd you get the intelligence you have? Where, where did you, if you're fast, where'd you get your feet? Where'd you get your legs? Where'd you get your lungs? Right, if you're skilled, yes, certainly we practice. We honed our skills, but who gave us the ability to do that? All of that ultimately rests on a kind and gracious creator. So what is Jesus saying? Let's sum it all up. This world is a dark and broken place. It is a corrupt place. This world needs light and life. It needs people who do good. Jesus calls his disciples, do good. Lead in doing good. Preserve what is good in this world and prevent what is bad. Stand against what is evil. That's part of his purpose for us. Add the flavor of life, of explaining. There's purpose. God created us with purpose. Speak of those wonders and those glories and live your life so that people thirst for what fills you. Be so filled with God that people see your life and they want to emulate that. They yearn. They see something that's missing. And then finally, salt's everywhere. Christians, be everywhere. Don't think you gotta stay in one particular place. Go through every segment of the world. Take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Be everywhere. Be that light. Let the Holy Spirit within you shine out in such a way that people see the good things that you do and and are able to see God at work through you. So that's Jesus's point. Don't let persecution, which it'll come, it will come. Jesus says, when it comes, don't let it squash your saltiness. Don't let it quench your light. Let your life mimic the things that Jesus is speaking of in a way that honors God the Father.
What's one practical way we can do that? There are issues that sometimes we get confused about. I'm going to invite Becky to come and join me. Uh, about 26 years ago, uh, this church began partnering with uh, Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices as a way to preserve the good and present, prevent death um, in, in the, around the issue of abortion. And so today's the National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It is also our missionary focus on Sunday. Third Sunday of every month, we highlight one of our mission partners in order to help you to pray for those with whom we've partnered for the furtherance of the gospel. And um, Becky has uh, some connection with uh, Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices. And so here's a way in which us being salt and light in a world um, that thinks very differently about the inhabitant of the womb, we can, can bring a different voice to the conversation. So Becky, maybe there's some people who don't know Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices or don't know anything about our partnership. Can you tell a little bit about what BCPC does and your connection to them? Sure. Um, so Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices is a pregnancy center. Um, there are a couple of locations now. There's uh, the main location in Boston. In that main location, they offer free pregnancy tests. They offer counseling to women and to men who are experiencing unplanned pregnancies. They actually just opened a satellite location in Quincy, and that specific location is for after-abortion care. So for women and men who have experienced abortion and are looking for healing, they have groups, they have individual counseling there. Um, and for me, so I was employed as their director of crisis services for about six years. So I left last year, but I still volunteer with them as one of the co-facilitators for their after-abortion groups. Mm -hmm. And okay, we're living on the overturning of Roe. So post-Roe, uh, can we sit back and relax? Or what would you advise Christians to uh, think about these changes? And how should we, should we continue to be engaged or not? Or... So the overturning of Wade just meant that it, it threw the decision out to different states. Mm -hmm. And we live in Massachusetts, so that really made no difference yeah. um, for us, like none at all. Um, so we should absolutely continue to stay engaged. We've seen actually, um, since the overturning of Roe, a real hardening of hearts just in response and anger and mm -hmm. people feeling their rights taken away and feeling limited. So there's just been a, a real hardening of hearts. And I'm hearing a lot of comments like, well, even if this is murder, it should still be my right to, to choose that, which is a little bit different than what we've seen in the yeah. last 15 years. So it's, it's um, just become wow. a, more, uh, a more difficult yeah. issue. People are more willing to fight about it and people are really hardening yeah. their hearts around it. So when you hear that kind of argument, what's your response to them? Sure, I think um, the response is really grace grace and mercy and love, um, but also facing that with truth, right? right. Um, so being able to share the truth with people, but sharing it in a way to understand that this person is experiencing probably the hardest thing that they will experience in their lives, um, and to be able to offer them help and support and care. Yeah. And so if someone listening is saying, okay, I'd like to be salt and light in this particular area, uh, what needs does BCPC have that we might be able to connect people with? Sure. So they have a lot of volunteer opportunities. 
Um, so they just relaunched their men's ministry, so they are looking for men to help with that. They have a lot of volunteer opportunities in the pregnancy center itself. They're looking for other co-facilitators for after abortion groups. Um, and then prayer. They actually had a 24-hour prayer Friday night to yesterday night. Mm -hmm. So just for people to be willing to pray for them, to join them in prayer is huge. So what are two or three things that we could pray uh, for BCPC for? Sure. Um, so they are looking to open another satellite location in Boston, which is huge. It just really shows the need for this yeah. particular type of ministry. So that would be great, um, prayer over that. They would love prayer over the men's ministry that has relaunched, and they would also um, just love prayer for the staff there. They've just faced a lot of difficulty since May in that overturning, so really just covering them in prayer. Yeah, okay. Well, let's pray. And I would invite you to do two things. A, pray with me for BCPC, but B, pray with me for, what is the Lord saying to you? How can you, in your particular context, the school, work, home, how can you be salt and light? Right? I, we're used by God in very, very different ways. And so what is the thing that you could do in the name of Jesus, that nobody else can do? That's the question I'd like you to, to pray into as a believer. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, I say thank you for uh, BCPC and uh, years of partnership. I thank you for Becky and her continued uh, connection and volunteering there. And Lord, would you provide uh, many volunteers like Becky to constantly speak the truth that you're the giver of life. You give life and only you have the authority, therefore, to take life. And so, Lord, would you change the hearts and minds of individuals through uh, faithful volunteers who proclaim the truth in, as Becky said, a very loving, patient way. And Lord, we would ask that um, the needs for men to step up and, and lead in this way uh, would be met would you bring volunteers and leaders? And Lord, if you would open up a, a, a location for a, a new satellite branch, would you make that known? Would you let that be seen? And God, we do pray for protection. I do know there has been vandalism with some of the sites, and there is attack, and, and there are threats that come out to people who simply want to stop the death of unborn children. And Lord, I would, I would ask you to protect staff and Father, would you, uh, even now, as if we hear the words of Jesus saying to us uh, that you are calling us as your disciples to be salt and light in this world, would you show us how to do that? Each one of us in our particular situation, may we, Lord Jesus, represent you rightly and in such a way that, that people see the good that we do but understand that it's ultimately coming from God the Father. And Lord, I, I pray for your people. I thank you for this church. Let us be salt and light in this world and where you have put us. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen.